I should have shot Howard a message. I did. We're going live. Uh, we are live. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the coffee chat for this month, the month of February. The next one will be in four weeks. We're on with five really great people, if you include myself. Four really great people, if you exclude myself, which I'm sure some of you do. Um, but I'm Justin Ehrenhofer. I am an organizer of the Monero Community Work Group. We have Need Money 90, Sarang Nother, Rar, and VT Nerd on today. Others might be popping in if thunderstorms allow or you know anything else personal schedules allow as always this is meant to be a conversational chat so i have youtube on the side screen right here i'm looking at it right now so please uh please comment it says someone already liked it thank you for liking the video like and subscribe we can be those people that uh tell you to ring the bell or, or whatever <laughs> um in any case uh, i think we should get started uh Again, like always, we can do introductions just so you're familiar with everyone else in the space. We can start with the one other person today who is using their video. Diego, can you please introduce yourself? Hey, guys. My name is Diego, and I um, do things around the Monero community, like I work with the core team, and I do design things, and um, I go speak at conferences a lot the past couple of years, which I won't be doing as much this year. And I um, put out the Revool, both the weekly and the half-year periodicals. And the uh, and then I also help run the DEF CON and the C3 conferences. And um, I do a lot of things. And if you knew how many things I did, you would be you'd be amazed. And if you knew how many things were in my backlog, you would be surprised and sad for me. So that is that is me. Is getting a haircut in your backlog? You know, Ouch. you know, we, I was I was actually thinking about maybe cutting my hair. Your hair's getting a little longer. Mark. It's getting long. Usually, I, I mean, I was going to go get it. So it's shoulder length. Because when it's longer, the curls don't come out as much because it's heavier. But, uh, you know, uh, so I was going to get a shoulder length. But then I said, maybe I should go all the way um, and just you go, go for it. Completely bald. What do you guys think? I'm open to suggestions. I don't I'm not sure. I, I don't know. Roar. If you went bald, are you going to keep the beard, too? Or is it just <laughs> going to be like a bald with beard thing or mm. bald and no beard. We can. Oh, including the eyebrows, obviously. Oh, that's another critical point. We need to. We need to have some sort of way to conduct a poll in a decentralized manner. Um, does has does anybody have this Ethereum? Anybody? You know what? You know, yeah. while introductions are going on, I'm going to use that Cornell tool to make a ranked choice voting poll, so that people will be able to determine whether they want, you know, bald. Or how about as is or bald, and then I'll have different variations of other facial hair structure. Just the left that. half. Just so you guys know, <laughs> we are talking about this because nothing interesting has gone on in Monero, so this is all we have. That's not like true. We do things. Like, I got a haircut recently. No <laughs> one's noticed that because it's always the same. Well, yeah, I can't give you shit for getting a haircut. Okay, you know, um, our watch count has increased since we've been talking about haircuts. So I think this is the content that people crave. I think that's 20 about right. Viewers. Nice. Um, so, so, Doug, can you introduce yeah. yourself now that you've already interjected yourself into this conversation <laughs> in, in a meaningful way? 
Yeah, uh, my handle's NeedMoney90. I'm a community moderator, and I do, well, various odd jobs to help around the community how I can. Okay. I have no video at the moment. Uh, I think we can make fun of you with no video then, I guess. Someone, someone's still tired. They, uh, they wish this was at 18 UTC, like, uh, instead of 17, I would say. Is that, is no, that seriously, though, we should uh, move these to, like, noon... Noon nice. Pacific? Yeah. That'd be nice. That's three hours maybe that hour, right? maybe that uh freezes out some of our European friends. We can always consider different schedules. You know what? we can have three different coffee. No, you know what? We can have a coffee chat per time zone. So it's just twenty four hours of continuous coffee. Ian, no thanks. <laughs> Does that All mean right. that you be drinking coffee every hour for twenty four hours? So much coffee. That sounds so that good. Fed, that would be fantastic. You know what? You could your pair watch it count with, with, your watch count was would skyrocket as you slowly descend into madness. <laughs> and you could even do like a coffee tasting. So you could have like different types of coffee, one different type every hour. I think that'd be really cool. That you know, that would be very interesting. There's so many ways to make coffee now. You could teach us. Yeah, that's probably just start your own YouTube you got channel. MX, but... you got AeroPress. There's this thing that's like uh it's oh, I can't I don't know how I'd like to describe it. It's almost like this crazy lever-based metal system that's supposed to do espresso, but without like an espresso maker. Huh. I know my friend had it. It was it sounded very expensive. I want to say flange, but that's not right. I know someone that has it as well. It's really interesting. Yeah, I tried it. Like it was it was really like it was very low quality beans, but the result was like better than I would have expected for the low quality beans. We've had two people talk now that have not introduced themselves. Oh, so we're getting there. We're getting there. We're getting there. Okay. We have some comments coming in, though, that say that this is a narrow brunch chat. And I think that's about appropriate. Um, different weekend chore chat also in Diego's case, right? Uh, throw a little bit of public shaming in there, I'd say. Um, all right. So, Sarang, you, you piped up to talk about coffee. So can you introduce yourself to everyone else about what you do in Monero? And then you can still keep talking about coffee briefly if you like. <laughs> Fair enough. Hello, I'm Sarang Noether. I am a research contributor to the Monero Research Lab Workgroup, and I enjoy doing math and cryptography and analysis and all sorts of kind of odd job research topics, things like that. So much going on with that. And I also enjoy coffee. I'm a fan of the AeroPress personally. It's cheap, some kind of polycarbonate, easy to clean. I'm, I'm looking into a burr grinder, but I need to get uh, a better get a burr grinder. I, I need a better coffee maker before I can take advantage of the burr grinder. I think. Anyway, lots of coffee stuff going in here. Um, thank you, Ray. Has just asked, what are our goals for the next six to twelve months? Do we want to introduce our last person, or go? I'm about that? to get there. Yeah. So, uh, Lee, can you do your introductions? I know we've had like a leisurely introductions this time. I think that's good, though. Yeah. So I am. I go by VT Nerd on GitHub and on IRC, and I program various parts in both the Daemon, two commits to the wallet, and some stuff to my Monero. And so the most recent stuff has all been. IP privacy related um, sort of stuff in, within the Monero demon. So we'll talk about that later, I guess. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you, Lee, for introducing yourself. Um, and I think we had, yeah, Howard, you joined us. Thank you for joining us. Uh, can you introduce yourself, please? Hey, I'm Howard Chu. Uh, I go by HYC online. 
Um, what do I need to talk about? <laughs> um, apparently, we're talking about haircuts and coffee this this time. So, um, what what's your preferred haircut, and then what is uh, <laughs> and then what's your preferred <laughs> way to have coffee? Uh, I haven't had a haircut in probably the past ten years, and I drink tea. <laughs> Playing for the other Tea side, is the I best see. coffee. There we go. There we go. Yeah. I am not. I like tea. tea. I like tea too. I have. I drink water. <laughs> I have maybe twelve boxes of tea just in my cupboard. It takes up the entire space. Um, you know, no room for dishes or anything. It's just all tea um, <laughs> and coffee. Um, okay, so we've done like a lot of the really friendly intros. I'm going to go over a really broad schedule about the main topics I think we should cover today. But of course, please comment in the chat if you have something else. We already had some people that added some thoughts that came in, so we really appreciate that. Um, I'd like to talk about the Monero Conferenco that's coming up. I'd like to have an MRL update because we have Srang on here and we haven't had an MRL person on a coffee chat in a while. Uh, VT Nerd is here, so I'd love for him to talk about Dandelion++ that he recently I did a lot of work on to help bring it to completion in Monero. Um, we have a Monero-versary coming up in April, so we already need to start planning for what events we need to have. We've had some ideas in the community already circulate there. And then Diego recently published uh, the Monero Revoir, or Revoir uh, periodical. So I want him to talk about what he's been doing there and help give it additional context there. So I think it would be best to start off with Serang, just because it's a lot of topics, uh, content to get out on what has recently happened in the Monero Research Lab. Uh, Serang, can you give you know, a nice high-level overview, and then we can ask more specific questions about what MRL has been doing over the past three months? Oh, good Lord. So many things. So, I mean, there's a few kind of big projects related to protocol design. Um, so uh, CLSEG is something that's been in the works for a while um, that was uh, suggested by a collaborator um, kind of over on a GitHub thread that's still up. And the idea is that you can take our current signature structure and kind of compress it down in, in a certain way. Um, and the benefit to that is you get much smaller signatures that end up being faster to verify, which is great. So it means transactions are smaller and, you know, syncing things up will end up being faster for that part of the chain. And... Um, so that's been worked up. Um, the we have you know code for it that we initially kind of were were playing around with. We had to do some performance testing. Um, Monero Moo has now worked that up into kind of a more complete integration based pull request. So taking that signature scheme and then you know actually throwing it into the the larger code base and transaction protocol and everything. Um, so we also had to develop kind of a formal security model for it. Um, and that's that's the stuff that's kind of been ongoing. So we got some really good suggestions on security model updates and changes when we did an initial submission for a conference. And so um, Serena Other and I have been working on kind of really just kind of nailing down and upgrading the security model for that. Um, and that basically just ensures us that, you know, it's we're modeling a lot of kind of real world adversarial situations and making sure that the signature scheme, you know, is is safe and robust against them. So that's kind of being finished up. Um, there still seems to be pretty strong support for doing a deployment. Um, and before that, there's also pretty strong support for doing um, a external review and external audit. So we'll probably try to get that done for both the math and for the code. And I know, uh, uh, Justin, you've been talking um, in the community and research channels, um, and I've been kind of chatting with you about it as well, about the idea of doing kind of a, a more neutral third-party audit work group 
just to make sure that everything regarding the audit and, you know, any kind of fundraising and, you know, which auditors and reviewers would be chosen is done in like a nice, transparent, neutral way. All right, we had no questions coming with chat here. Um, yeah, I, I also sent Snipe a, a message, uh, Doug. Um, we'd love to have Snipe on, of course, the new Monero uh, lead contributor or lead maintainer, sorry. <laughs> lead contributor is not a good description. Um, um, okay, yeah, thanks, Arang, yeah. for those you know high-level overviews. Can you? Yeah, so that's that's a little bit on on like CL seg. I mean, there's plenty more I could talk about if you want. Can you do like a really brief description about like what's going on with Triptych and what's going on with Ring CT 3.0? Because I think those have seen some changes that most people might not be familiar with. Yeah, yeah. So so CL seg is nice because you know for the kind of the range of ring sizes that we're that we use now, you know, which is like on the order of ten right now. It's happened to be eleven, which you know in in the grand scheme of things is like a fairly small per transaction input anonymity set. You know, we get nice, much smaller transactions and faster transactions for that ring size range. Um, but that doesn't really scale very well to much larger kind of like order of magnitude bigger ring sizes like 100 or 1000. Um, it just doesn't scale well to that. You'd still get gigantic signatures that'd be really, really slow. So there's been a lot of interest lately in the so-called sublinear um, transaction protocols. And the idea with those is that the size scales really well, even if you have a very large ring size. There's still always going to be a question of like the verification time and how long it would take to sync. And that ends up being kind of the bottleneck. So, you know, right now we can't do like the, the, the kind of speed that you can get with large anonymity sets for trusted setup based solutions. And there have been a few proposals that have already come out um, from outside groups that have been great. Um, OmniRing was one that came out. Um, there's still some questions on its efficiency and some correctness stuff. So I would say that like OmniRing is still kind of in flux and in development. It's a really cool idea, but it just needs a bit more work. Um, there was another proposal that came out called RingCT3 or RCT3 um, from another group. And that's undergone some revisions and changes as well for security and for efficiency. Um, it's got a pretty good security model associated with it and its scaling is also good. So there, there's still some design choices you could make around that relating to kind of how you end up padding in some of the anonymity set and things like that. Um, and then another one that we came up with in-house in collaboration with some collaborators, as one does, um, is what we're calling Triptych. And it's actually based on a similar underlying like proving system. So like its plumbing is very similar um, to what Lalantis does, which in turn is based on some old work by, by Growth, Growth and Kolbeis, um, who are some other cryptographers and mathematicians who came up with this cool proving system, you know, a few years ago. The idea behind that, where I think it kind of improves on the Lantis for, you know, Monero related purposes, um, is that it lets us kind of use the same, it lets, it lets us use kind of a similar approach to how we separate out like public keys for signing and like amount commitments for confidential transactions. It lets us kind of use a similar model to that, um, but the signatures end up being a lot smaller, like for, uh, you know, order of magnitude size, larger ring, you can still get very small signatures. And you can do batch verification, kind of like what we do for bulletproofs. So, you know, a, a single signature might not be terribly fast to verify. But you can do a whole bunch of them in a large group separately as you're like pulling in blocks or whatever, pulling in transactions. And those you can end up kind of verifying in a, in a big batch um, at an average rate that's much faster than doing it individually. Um, and so that is, uh, yeah, so that's like another, yet another sublinear transaction protocol that could be useful. So it's really good to have options for these. There's still kind of some questions that arise with, you know, how would we end up doing multi-signature stuff? Because that gets a bit more complicated. Um, 
So there's there's still some, I guess, some questions that are still in flux with those. But it's really nice to know that there are protocols available that don't require centralized trust and can still give us, you know, much better scaling for anonymity set size. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, what was the timeline for Triptych? Is this something like when did in-house did you start working on this? Oh, good lord! Actually, I should pull that up. It was uh, there was a GitHub issue on it. I'm gonna pull it up now while I'm talking, which is gonna go great. But, but I mean, basically, what happened is like there were some ideas on how to do it, some ideas on maybe how to extend it to include amounts in a cool way, um, and then worked up kind of some of the math for it. You know, worked up some kind of test code to kind of prototype it and do some timing estimates, um, and then kind of developing a formal security model around it, and you know, proving everything formally, which takes a surprising, surprisingly long amount of time sometimes. Security model is one of those things that like, it's it's both really fun to do if you're into it and really awful if you're not into it and very subtle and very easy to screw up. So that's why it's important to do, you know, a lot of a lot of formal analysis whenever possible. Let's see here. Linkable ring signature based on one of many. So it looks like the, uh, the first issue for it by our collaborator Random Run was opened on September 6th of 2019. So, and there's um there's a preprint cool. that came out um at the I guess last month the preprint for it was released and it's since been updated to do some extensions and some generalizations. Um, there's actually like okay. there's actually a separate version of Triptych um, that I'm still working on that lets us do multiple uh, like a whole transaction like all the inputs for the transaction and all the amount balance stuff in one single small proof. And we don't quite have like the soundness for that worked out yet. I'm pretty convinced that it is sound, but it's it's proving really tricky to prove that. It's unfortunate. I really wish we could. I'm, look, I'm looking to grab the uh, paper for those who are in the chat right now. It's hard to. And of course, like through. the usual caveat and like a preprint is not inherently peer reviewed. So you should always view preprints with like a certain amount of skepticism. Like anyone could put out a preprint. It'd be nice to get it peer reviewed, but that can be tricky to get in sometimes. Very cool. Well, it sounds like really, really awesome things are happening in the Monero Research Lab side of things. Um, yeah, there's a whole bunch of other small projects going on too all the time. Those, I guess, are just kind of the big, shiny ones. Mm -hmm. so, but the, the one that is most notable for the next update, assuming audits, you know, assuming everything goes well, let's say, is CLSAC, correct? Um, yeah, yeah. Right now, everything seems to be going pretty well with that. Um, you know, like I'm, we're we're very confident that even though like we're still kind of working on trying to enhance its security model, um, the security model that we have now is at least as good, if not better, than what we had for ML SEGS. Mm. So, if anything, we're just trying to like optimize it even further. Got it. Okay, really cool. If you have any other questions in the chat for Sarang, please leave them in. Um, and of course, you can always attend their weekly meetings, which are on. Uh, Wednesdays now. When, Wednesdays at 18 UTC, correct? Yep. Um, at Monero-Research-Lab. Yep, so they're always willing to answer questions there too. Um, okay, any any comments from those who are, or questions from those who are in the chat currently about what's happening in the Monero Research Lab? Any uh, Anything people think are pretty cool? I mean, it's all cool, but like what's especially cool? Wow. Math, math is cool. <laughs> My teachers are right. <laughs> All right. Um, I think then we can move on to uh, Diego. Diego, can you talk about the Revoir and what you've done with the recent uh, periodical? Yeah, sure. Um, so 
for I've been doing the Revua in some form or another for a couple of years now. Uh, back when it started, it was supposed to be a quarterly uh, just update summary on all the things that we've done in the past three months. I managed to get two of those out and then um, life happened, work happened. Uh, I started up the weekly. Now we're on like issue 50 or something. So 50 weeks ago, that's pretty good. Um, and the weekly just kind of summarizes. It's really just a link aggregation, um, brief summary of the interesting things that happen for those people that don't have time to troll through the Twitter or the Reddit or IRC to get the up and up on everything that's happened. Um, but I did restart the periodicals in the new format. Um, if you go to revuo-monero.com, uh, you can see um, those there. And so we just recently put out the periodical. It's for the past six months. The past two periodicals have been six months periodicals. Um, and I don't know if people like the quarterlies better, we can move to those. But sometimes it could be a little bit bare in terms of content because Monero does stuff. But um, I don't know. Uh, we end up reporting on similar things. Um, but anyway, the most recent one launched yesterday. I have since received a couple of pings from different people like, hey, you might want to include this. And um, they're right. I didn't get everything. And um, so I, th there will probably be a small update. But if you're interested in what Monero did the last half of 2019, so July 1st through December 31st, like kind of the major things, then you can go ahead and take a look uh, at the periodical there. And if, if I miss anything, anyone, please, uh, please let me know. I, I try very hard. You know, the issue with something like this is uh, people can say, well, you're being a gatekeeper for knowledge. Like if if the revue is the way that people get their Monero fix and their understanding of Monero and I choose not to report on a conversation or, you know, what people are or what one company has done or what one group has done, then they may feel slighted or they may feel like you know their contributions are not valued so i mean i'm small enough we're all small enough that i don't think that's an issue but you know that was an issue with things like bitcoin when it got bigger and they started banning people for this or you know the people just chose not to report on these things and so it kind of led to a big division um so hopefully that won't ever happen um but if it does then we'll have to deal with that too at some point. <laughs> I think, like from my perspective, Diego, like you, it's it's a source you're doing the best you can, and if someone else thinks they can do better, they can make another thing. And it's always good to have multiple sets of people competing against each other, have the best content. You know, that's that's generally a good thing. That's yeah. why there's not just one news source you can watch. You can watch a large number. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, if, if someone wants to take on the role of doing their own raw type system, by all means, they can start their own thing. And I think we should encourage that. Um, and, you know, then, I, I'm going to take it a step further. If anybody has an interest in like super low-key journalism, um, please feel free to message me. There have been a number of ideas that have been thrown out around in my head about ways to kind of expand the revoir in terms of written pieces, opinion pieces, or... Um, so kind of further things like that beyond just the weeklies and the periodicals. There's a couple of different directions we can take this in terms of educational material. So if you have an interest or talent in writing or researching or any of these things, please uh, message me and we can kind of discuss what what directions we can also take the Revua in. 
Really, really cool. Okay, um, we had a few really good questions that came in chat uh, that were mostly focused on Monero Research Lab. I think I'm gonna go to those a little bit after. I think we want to talk about Dandelion++ first, um, and then we'll go through, uh, answer, uh, there's a question about post-quantum, and there's another question on the security concerns of atomic swaps with Monero. So, Lee, are you still here? Absolutely. Perfect, okay, Lee's still here. Can you walk us through I, like really, really briefly, uh, the high-level overview about what Dandelion++ does, what the state of it is in Monero with your most recent merge request, and then um, elaborate on what is sort of still needed to do and why Dandelion++ is important. Right. Okay. So the first thing is why was, I suppose, like why was Dandelion++ protocol sort of implement or the design in the first place or why did it come you know why was it created um the there was been research on in bitcoin in particular on sort of chain analysis companies making many connections to people through the peer-to-peer -peer bitcoin network um with the goal of identifying the source ip of a transaction um so this is different perhaps than an isp spying uh, because this can this can be done at the protocol level meaning any any sort of anyone can theoretically do it given a reasonable amount of resources so they came up with the dandelion plus plus protocol and attempts to retrofit sort of a i don't want to say like a onion network like like tor or i2p but sort of a network to sort of obfuscate on the source ip um so the first design iteration was called just Dandelion. Um, and then after some feedback from the Bitcoin developers in particular, they came out with Dandelion++ as a response to the original algorithm or protocol rather. Um, and so that's specifically what Monero has implemented. Now, interestingly, there was a pull request. So there was sort of a working reference implementation for Bitcoin that was never merged for Dandelion. Um, I'm not aware of any updates uh, to the reference code for Dandelion++. And so the other major project that I'm aware of that has implemented Dandelion++ is Grin. Um, for their purposes, it's very, it's a little different than Monero um, because, you, and you may have seen this dust up about it recently. For them, it's very important to obfuscate um, inputs and outputs um, because they don't have ring signatures. Uh, so they were, you know, there's really probably no use to me talking about that right now. Um, but it's sort of interesting that if you saw some attack about Dandelion++ um, or as related to Grin, it's slightly different because that person was using it to identify um, this concept. And actually it wasn't even cut through transactions, I'm sorry. It was the, in, in with Mimblewimble, you can aggregate inputs and outputs into a much larger transaction. And so this person, sort of showed that Dandelion++ wasn't great at hiding that information. Um, and so I, I just wanted to stress that if you see that attack, that there's a very subtle difference in what that person and what Denny and what Grin was using it for. Now, I suppose what happened with, uh, as far as getting Dandelion++ in the mirror, what happened was at some point, almost a year ago now, actually, Sarang and I were discussing this at, Stanford at the blockchain conference and he sort of said, Hey, why don't you try to get Dandelion++ 
as part of this push to get Torn I2P in the de- in the, into the Monero Demon. And I said, yeah, sure, it'll be like, sounds simple. Uh, but then I sort of, <laughs> when I came to my senses, I realized that there was a lot of changes that needed to be made. However, the changes, there were a lot of changes that needed to be made for Dandelion Plus Plus that overlapped with changes necessary for the proper Torto I2P sort of integration. So I sort of, it, it delayed the Torto I2P integration a bit as I thought about how to design it so that you could get, so that we would have, so that I could implement the second part, you know, the Dandelion Plus Plus part eventually. And so that's sort of what it came up now was sort of the, this last PR is sort of like the last bits to actually enable Dandelion Plus Plus. So there's been like, there's, there's code, for instance, in there to select sending your transaction to one IP, which is part of the protocol. And it's been part of that for sort of this uh, Torn ITP integration stuff. So there's, there's been sort of parts in there, but the actual relaying, uh, the, the actual implementing of the protocol has been delayed until just now um, because it needed to detect things like loops. It needed to do black hole mitigation. I'm sorry, these are kind of deep within the paper, but um, there was a, basically a couple blockers that if you didn't implement them, then the transactions were just could just disappear and never show up. So that was sort of like the last bits of sort of doing that and sort of randomizing timers and then going over the paper multiple times to make sure that um, I actually understood what they were proposing at each sort of step. Um, and I know Sarang has mentioned, he probably, I think, wants to review this last portion, which is probably the most important part to review, even though there's some other parts throughout. Um, this part contains all the stuff for the randomized exponential timers and all that. Um, now, why is it important to Monero for this, this IP privacy? Now, I guess I did want to make clear, this doesn't help privacy for any ISP watching um, stuff. Uh, we would have to start with encryption. That would help a lot. Um, that's something Moo and I discussed. Moo proposed SSL a while ago. Some of the people I talked to privately mentioned the noise protocol. Um, but that's going to have to be a separate push for that. And of course, there's already Tor and I2P to sort of um, help with that sort of encryption and obfuscating it from the ISP a bit. Um, so so now, wait, just, just to step in and do a quick summary for people. Yep. So you're saying that Dandelion++, again, doesn't protect against Comcast, AT&T, whoever else you're using, because they still know you are using Monero. You would need to use Tor or I2P to hide that you are using Monero. But if you it's, are um, just trying to hide from the rest of the network participants, other people running Monero nodes, then Dandelion helps you with that. Is, is that a reasonable assumption? Yes. So the, in fact, the issue is a bit more nuanced than that because the, the ISP can right now, because we don't have encrypted links, they can sort of see the, the transaction. They can sort of monitor the transactions coming in and out of your node and, and take a guess of where it originated from. If you encrypt the links, it makes it harder. Um, there's still some funkiness on whether like the ISP is in sibling you. And then there's, it, it just really gets a madness when they become very, very like active in. And also in tr- assuming that the ISP is watching you is like assuming a state level attack. And generally, I, I'm not sure we really try to mitigate state level attacks. Like that's just a lot gets, of effort for very little gain. It, it does be, get 
pretty difficult. I mean, we, we should probably at some point look into encrypting links, but like I said, there is some trickiness there. So yes, that is correct. It, it mainly prevents against, like I said, the chain analysis companies that were making lots of connections. And so to, to briefly summarize what they were doing, they were just simply connecting to as many nodes as possible in the network, possibly even from multiple machines. Um, and then they were able to correlate via time, timing analysis, sort of, sort of like where this, the transaction may have been originated from. So it was statistical-based. Um, but again, it didn't require, like Need um, Money was saying, um, it didn't require any sort of ISP or state-level involvement. Um, so Dandelion++ was designed specifically for that threat. And the nice part about it was it is backwards compatible. So we can roll this out without a hard fork. Um, it now will benefit um, the more users that are, the more honest users that are, that are implementing the protocol, the more that benefits. So like if, if you were to run it right now, it would work, but there'd be no point because whoever you're connecting to is most likely not implementing the protocol. So then it just defaults to the standard behavior. Um, but the, again, the nice part is that we can, we don't need a hard fork in March if there's a release in March and people want to start rolling it out. It, it can just sort of roll out as needed. Um, and so the, the, the one I guess still sort of risk is that the paper went over estimating how many nodes in the network had to be spy nodes before the, the protocol dropped off. And so I just would recommend people read the paper if they were interested in that, in that um, regard. So... Um, Oh, did you want me to talk about why this, the why the ISP transaction privacy might have been important to someone? Um, I would say briefly, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, the in the absolute worst case, it could be used, and I'd be interested in hearing Serang's thoughts on this. It could be used to sort of break the ring signatures entirely because um, typically, when you send out a send out a transaction to someone, you have a change address coming back to you, which means there's an output associated to you with money coming, but it's really your own money coming back to you, but it has to do with the way the, the, the protocol works. And this is similar to Bitcoin's change addresses. The issue is that same address uh, output is, a, is guaranteed to be at some future point in your, in, when you spend it. So if they, if they can, if they can, if someone is watching and determines that these two transactions came from an IP um, they will be able to break the ring signature because one of the outputs of the earlier transaction was guaranteed to be in the ring of a future transaction. Um, now, I guess there is the, the funkiness of the IP address can be reused by the cable company, um, but that is sort of one threat, like one major threat to Monero. Um, whereas in Bitcoin, this is probably why they haven't been too concerned about implementing Dandelion++ because... To them, I mean, there's no concept of ring signature, so it does. I mean, they're already leaking that information on the blockchain, so it doesn't even really matter. Um, so, yeah, that's probably why they couldn't care less. And for Grin, it really matters because they don't have ring signatures at all, and we're hoping to use Dandelion Plus Plus as a means of obfuscating uh, the inputs and outputs matching. But as someone showed, it really wasn't made for that. So. Um, yeah, they're trying to like extend it even further to provide a graph level protection, right? Instead of just network protection. <laughs> well, right. And it was really messed up because once someone sends a transaction and from and the problem there was the transaction would leave your machine 
and anyone that received it could see the inputs and outputs to that transaction. So even if someone at some later point aggregated multiple transactions into one, it went through, say, 10 other people first. And that was sort of the issue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Serang, do you have some yeah, comments? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a really cool idea, I think, in particular, because, you know, in, you know, in, in, for the most part, you know, the, the worst case scenario of this is, you know, that either you get fairly low adoption, in which case you kind of just, you know, default to some hybrid of, you know, the old protocol and, you know, some moderate improvements to those potentially using it, um, which is pretty great. You know, I mean, I think the fact that Monero does fairly regular network upgrades you know, means that client upgrades also happen, you know, with fair regularity. So, you know, hopefully there's there's fairly high adoption, which means that the network as a whole gets to benefit more. Um, and I think it's also a neat protocol because, you know, even in the presence of, you know, say a node that decides to just withhold relaying a transaction, you know, the protocol has built in provisions, you know, to eventually default back to kind of the old, you know, transaction diffusion method. So... It's it's nice because you know in the in the relative worst case you know you get what we had before and you know in a much more realistic hopefully better case you know you get this this cool additional protocol beyond it and I mean I don't I don't think it was particularly addressed you know how it necessarily works exactly but the idea is that instead of just diffusing a transaction out to everyone whom you see you end up doing like a very very particular somewhat randomized routing to just a couple of different nodes you know based on where you're receiving transactions from. Um, and, you know, so effectively what you do is you get kind of this single routing for a little while, and then eventually, you know, based on some randomization, you know, a node might decide to start then diffusing. So it's kind of like a dandelion, right? You have a stem part where things kind of just travel in a nice straight line. And then eventually there's a so-called like fluffing phase where, you know, I guess the, whatever the top part of the dandelion is like ends up fluffing its dandelion -y seeds out. So that's I, 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 did, I guess I did have two points of clarification that just thought to my, sprung to my mind when he was talking you know, very quickly. One was we were not doing diffusion as in Bitcoin. We were doing a flood, which was you receive yeah. a transaction, everyone gets it immediately. We recently changed what Bitcoin does where there's a randomized timer per connection. Um, so just this alone, according to the Dandelion paper, um, had sort of messed with the chain analysis. Um, and that was, yeah, and that was because it, because each connection is now randomized, it gets harder for them to learn the connection graph. Uh, now, whether we have to worry about this for block propagation and all that, I, I don't know, we'd have to do more looking into that. But so we've, we changed that. It, it's not in the last release. I think I did a PR for that just after we forked for that. So it's in the master branch. So that, that sort of changes in the master branch already. Um, and then the, oh man, there was another one in there. I don't know, I guess, the, oh man, I can't remember what another point was, what Strang was talking about, but too bad. <laughs> um, yeah, no, but that, that, sure that, is, that is a good point though. There's like, there's like the randomization for diffusion. Um, and then this also introduces some additional randomization factors too. Um, basically where like the, the kind of the, the stem based path that a node chooses um, is private to it. It gets re-randomized every once in a while. Um, there's additional randomization in where this like stem to fluff phase occurs. It's, it's really, it's very cool. Like the, the different changes that they made kind of assuming, you know, different types of kind of large scale, you know, uh, like super node type analysis, you know, and assuming that some nodes might be evil and try to disrupt the protocol. It, it was really well designed. 
And, okay, I remember what the very quick point was, which was, I'm sorry, <laughs> if you're running Tor I2P and you forward a transaction over that, the receiver, the hidden service receiver will then forward over a Denny line plus plus stem. So it sort of obfuscates it further on the, hit, the hidden service node that actually received and, and relayed your transaction for you via Tor I2P. So that was, and I think... Oh, that's cool. Yeah, and so I don't know, Serang may need to think about that at some point to get the two of us together, but that was sort of a thought I had. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, it, it definitely seemed like a lot of the, the issue was about like the, inter the interactions between like the Tor I2P side of things and like the public network side of things, yeah. which is, yeah, that, that's subtle. Because uh, just to clarify, like Dandelion++, like the, the benefit for it is that it runs just over like plain clear net, you know, alongside like basically how you do relaying right now. Mm -hmm. So, I, I have two questions for you, Sarang, while, while you're here. So first one um, that came in, uh, any post-quantum stuff, and then anything on the security concepts of BTC and telemetry swaps with Monero? Um, so I mean, like on the, on the post-quantum side, I would say that there's not really a whole lot of active directed research toward that that's like specifically related to transaction protocols. Um, you know, like in the broader cryptographic space, there's a fair amount of research on like general post-quantum secure constructions. Um, but as a general rule, they tend to be pretty inefficient. So, you know, are they interesting? Yes. You know, are, are they to the point in efficiency where I think that they could be reasonably developed for something that is specific to a transaction protocol and deployed? Like at this point, no, not particularly. Um, and, and I would say like the general prevailing view seems to be, you know, if, if something were to happen where, you know, uh, you know, common cryptographic hardness assumptions end up basically being broken by some kind of like crazy post-quantum scenario, then, you know, the entire internet's kind of equally screwed, which I don't know, maybe that's kind of a nihilistic viewpoint to take, but it doesn't mean that there's not like research going on in general in the space. Um, but I, I am personally of the view that, you know, like transaction specific research efforts are probably better directed elsewhere. You know, like if, if I don't think that that's like the thing that people need to really be concerned about right now. You know, there's plenty of other questions on scalability and, you know, transaction indistinguishability that I think are much more relevant today. So that's, that's my two cents on that. Okay. And what about the atomic oh, yeah, swaps? Yeah. So the question was on um, like BTC, XMR and related atomic swaps. Um, so right now, like yeah. there's some, some reasons why atomic swaps are a bit tricky. Um, in particular, because, you know, in Monero, there's no particular concept of scripting and we'd like to have transaction indistinguishability. Um, not to mention the fact that like the elliptic curve that projects like Bitcoin run over um, is not the same as the elliptic curve that Monero runs over. Um, Bitcoin has things like um, hash-based, uh, hash pre-image-based time locks. Uh, Monero just currently doesn't support those. And frankly, like, I don't think there's a good chance that it will for like technical and mathematical and indistinguishability reasons. Um, but there was a proposal that came out um, by another researcher and I'm blanking on their name, so I apologize, but um, we, do, we have talked about it um, on the research lab issues on GitHub. Uh, but there was a proposal out to do a very particular setup for like a BTC, I think was their example, an XMR atomic swap. Um, there were some subtleties involved with that. It required like some very particular um, zero knowledge proving systems that like weren't really well specified. And we have some ideas for how that might work, but there's nothing that's been like production quality ready. And I also had some additional questions on some subtleties involving like the trust and risk models of the swap process. Um, but the idea behind it is to kind of use like the tools available in Bitcoin, 
you know, which involved like scripting and all this like hash-based stuff. And the tools that are natively available in Monero on things like, you know, multi-signatures and other particular kinds, perhaps of time locks. Um, and maybe these other additional zero knowledge proving tools that we end up working out um, to maybe get something that, you know, could work. The nice thing is like, it wouldn't really require, if I'm remembering right, any like particular protocol changes, you know, it would just be like how the users tend to interact. But, you know, we don't want to like encourage or, you know, provide tools for particular interaction models like that, unless we're sure that it could work well. So it's, yeah, so, it. it's to that, so that's interesting and, and being looked into, but, you know, it's not something that is, you know, I would say well-specced enough to be able to just deploy immediately. It's cool work though. Very nice. Uh, thank, thank you, Sarang and Lee for the update there on Dandelion and sort of related MRL related topics, network topics, privacy security topics. I think I'm gonna to switch to a topic that is more broadly applicable to everyone in the chat here, which is on what to do for the sixth Monero-versary, which is coming up in April. So last year, uh, there was a local meetup in Vienna. They hosted an early morning event as Monero actually launched, you know, in real time, so to speak. So that on the, the specific time when Monero launched five years ago, they cut cake, they, they had a big award ceremony of things, but it was pretty early for US people. So as a result, we then later had uh, a live stream, which included some of the Vienna folks that included a game and included interviews and included updates. It was like a coffee chat, a special edition. So what are some ideas that we can do for this sixth uh, Monero-versary that is going on? And I'm gonna first ask Howard, uh, since we haven't had a chance to bring him into the conversation yet here. Howard, uh, did you participate in the last fifth Monero-versary and what do you think would be a really cool thing to do to celebrate Monero's sixth, uh, sixth birthday or anniversary? <laughs> You know, I, I don't actually remember a year ago, so I might have done something. You know, I'm, I'm fairly sure I popped open a bottle of Barolo. I think you did, yeah. Yeah. Is that, is that your annual go-to at this point? At, at this point, yeah. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> all right. So we all need to get Barolos. Everyone who participates in the chat, instead of drinking coffee, the, the gatekeep is you must have a bottle of Barolo. Okay, that, that's a nice introductory start. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Doug, Doug, what do you think would be really cool to do? I mean, you've been hosting the uh, cryptocurrency quizzes for r slash cryptocurrency. We could have a Monero-themed one. It'd be kind of fun. Yeah, we actually did that last year. We had a Kahoot, and we had a, a few, like, four-choice, multiple-choice things. you think that's still a good idea? Yeah, this could be better organized. Okay. I, I saw a funny YouTube video. I don't know... I don't know the name of the game, uh, but there's a, a, a game where you can come in on your phone and play with your friends and you play a bunch of stupid mini games. It's a Jack game. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? No. Um, my friend also had it at a party I went to one time. Uh, and it's just a bunch of fun little games like you pitch uh, new um ideas to each other in terms of gosh damn. <laughs> okay i i let, let me search for this and then i'll come back with the more full uh thing uh, but yeah there, there's a bunch of fun games you can do with each other and, and only one person needs to have the game everyone else can just come in on their phone it's a great tracking tool to know where everybody is and uh what they're doing oh, as well. it's, that's a good it's point. for monero i think 
but I don't know. I I just think some fun party things would be interesting to try out sometime one day. Okay. Yeah. Let's look into that and see what what happens there. Um, I need to check on the uh, Monero community GitHub issues. I, I believe someone proposed the idea of going out and spending Monero once a year at, at some store or something. What do we think of that idea that we sort of have people record instances of here, I'm going to the store to spend Monero. I don't know how well that would work in the U S because we don't have as many like BTC, to, sorry, Mexamar to BTC conversions uh, like we do in Europe and other countries, but I um, accept Monero natively on all uh, of my, okay. Services. So, so you by default will have, <laughs> I accept Diego Monero by... too for just you could just give me Monero. Okay, okay. So I guess I guess now is the chance to make a merchant store that takes Monero because people are going to have to spend it for something. So we might all be buying T-shirts for Diego. He just has a default monopoly here, or need money is just default beggar in the ecosystem that that puts his address everywhere. We're also selling stickers. You now, got too. me. You're so, okay. Stickers, yeah. Oh, and by the way, at that time, I think the Monero Conferenco tickets will be available if anyone's going to buy them at that point. I think that'd be a good time because just two months until the conference will point. Anyway, done showing the Conferenco. In the chat, do people have any other ideas about what they think uh, would be good things to do for Monero's sixth anniversary? Last time we had we contacted some press. We made uh, Diego made a really lovely uh, Monero party hat type. Uh, image. I thought that was really great. I said it as the channel image uh, picture for some time. Um, I think you know that was that was pretty cool. Um, but you know, this is something that like Monero enthusiasts will do. Like, how do we sort of get people that are not always involved in the Monero community? Like, all the faces you see here are all names that you often see. How do we get people that are just followers of Reddit to go out and do something? Is that a good goal? What what could that be? Yeah, th- this is this is something that so many communities, businesses, nonprofits, all of these things have trouble doing. Not just the onboarding of people, but the mobilization of people. Um, I think maybe speaking with different organizers of different nonprofits might be useful to a community like Monero, because even though we are not a nonprofit, that we do share some similar problems in a social sense. Uh, Mobilization, calls to action, getting people to actually do things that we think are in their best interests, right? So um, you have people like that say, well, voting is in your best interest, so vote. And they can't get everybody to vote um, because there's a convincing portion of it where you have to convince them that it is in their best interest when they might disagree, as well as even if they see, okay, this might be in my best interest. Is it enough? Is it going to benefit me enough to actually move me off of the couch or out of my house or something? Because people's time is limited. And I think I think we forget this way too often that People have lives. They have things they want to do. Even if they're watching TV, it may not, it's not because they're lazy. They maybe had a long day at work and they need some time to relax. Like people have lives. And if they take on something, if they take on a cause, that necessarily means they're not doing something else, uh, whether that be spend time with their family or some alone time or whatever the case might be. So, Really, a lot of it's going to come down to the convincing of people that, you know, our privacy is being eroded, that um, something is that this kind of thing is necessary, that, you know, even the act 
even the act of spending Monero to people who accept Monero is furthering this goal in one small way. Um, uh, there's a lot of things that are tough sells. And I think people are going to wake up to it in their own time. Some people will never wake up to it. Um, I, I heard something that they tell doctors that I, I found very uh, apt to this as well, um, but it's interesting in and of itself. Uh, in order to help take away guilt from doctors who are not able to uh, help certain people, they say that um, there will be some people that will get better no matter what you do, if you help them or not, there will be some people that won't get better or die if you help them or not. And then there are the people in between. And those people in between need your help to get from unhealth to health or sometimes from death to life. And I, I feel like that is also true of social issues or of issues like uh, that, that we're dealing with here of trying to convince people of privacy. There will be some people we're just never going to be able to convince. And there's going to be some people that are already convinced or already doing their own thing. Um, but there's a, a big, big portion in the middle. And we need to try to identify these people that are are primed to hear this message. And because if, if we're focusing our resources on trying to convince the people that will never be convinced, then we are wasting resources, human, financial, whatever the case may be. We need to identify who these people are that are ready to hear this. And um, these are the people that we need to be selling on this technology. These are the people that we need to kind of focus our resources on. Uh, so I think rather than just go for a shotgun approach, which can have some results, I think we need to kind of look a little deeper into the into the audiences that we're trying to work with. I mean, yes, of course, we would love those people who would never be convinced to be convinced. And maybe given enough time and resources, those people might actually change. But if we're putting all of that effort, all that time, all that resources, then we're missing out on um, potentially more and more people uh, that are ready to hear. They just are not being uh, focused on. Anyway, that's my little thingy. Yeah, I think it's important to sort of, I mean, one, one goal of the campaign is get the people, people to understand why they're doing what they're doing, you know, in some sense. Um, I mean, going back to the, the idea of the fun trivia that I try to do every week, right? It's it's a reason for people to be involved in the ecosystem and have a fun time that's not related just to just looking at a price chart, right? But at least that's the intent. So that's how you can help try and break down a lot of those boundaries. Hopefully we can sort of do that in some way for Monero's birthday. So I think it's good that we have these discussions. Someone in the chat, uh, Antonim is, is the name they go by, says we should do a treasure hunt. We've done like Monero, uh, challenges for DEFCON every year. And there's puzzle, some... there's puzzle treasure hunts as well that we. Have. Yeah, there's a lot. Like it doesn't need to be like a physical thing. It's easy to do globally. Do you, is that something that you think would attract a lot of people? If we had a a puzzle, what, what sort of ways could we encourage people to want to work on the puzzle or get a reward? Do you think that's even a good we idea could at do all? Do it like a thing that's in series where we get like anybody who wants to make a section of the puzzle or something. And you have to solve all the segments. Yeah, but like individuals can participate. I don't know. Just thinking, thinking out loud. I actually have a printout of one of the their DefCon twenty eighteen. No, yeah, twenty yeah twenty eighteen puzzle behind me on the wall because I thought it was kind of it looked really cool. So clearly, some people like it so much they go out and buy pictures of it. But maybe that's a niche market. <laughs> 
Like there's there's a question in in the chat that I really wanted to get to if we if I can. Um, I don't think it's too long of an answer. So it's sure. Not... Is there are there any final topics on this this idea of a puzzle? Who do you think could work on the puzzle? Um, we, I know we have a puzzle work group to make these for DefCon. Is this something that we should have should break out for uh, the anniversary and then for the anniversary? Do we want to start the puzzle ahead of time so we can sort of present the winner, so to speak, during the live stream or whatever it is that we do on the anniversary? Or do we want to kick off the puzzle then? What, what do you think would be most appropriate? No, kick it off on the anniversary. Okay, so kick it off then. Okay, so we don't have it. try and have people finish by then. Okay. Um, before I get to you, uh, Diego, I want to do a quick plug for the Conferenco. So let me just share my screen really briefly, and then we're just going to go in to you know what's going on all these all this really fun stuff so MoneroCon is happening on the 13th and 14th of june 2020 in berlin uh, so it's at this place called motion lab you can check it out um, we don't yet have tickets open but those will be opening very uh, ability for you to purchase tickets will be happening very soon um, you can see that monero talk uh, plans to be there again this year um, and we're still working out the details we still have a lot of really good supporters that are helping to make this happen expect a monero uh, CCS proposal soon because these are a huge community effort. Um, I want to draw attention to this call for presentations and call for workshops though because they are open and I need you to go through and apply to help submit questions uh, just because they're they're quite important and I screwed up because I'm not logged in so I get to see the uh, results of that so let's get out of there first. So if you have anyone that wants to um, Submit a call for presentations, call for workshop. We do cover speaker travel costs. So if you do have something exciting, um, here's something to really look forward this year. The talks will be live streamed and they will be individually uploaded afterwards. So certainly a really good set of events coming on for the Monero community um, in June. This is in addition, of course, to the DEF CON Village that we have every year and the uh, C3 conference that we have every year. So really lots of fun stuff going on. Um, okay, so I'm just checking quickly to see. It looks like there's no questions about uh, the Confranco in chat. Uh, Diego, what was the topic you wanted to get to? So the question, um, and I, I was a little bit busy, so maybe this was already answered, but by Greg Idals, uh, the question is, what direction will Monero take with regards to KYC, AML, and regulations that are not privacy crypto friendly? Um, <clears throat> I just wanted to address this in broad, this is uh, kind of broadly, this is something that I have been thinking about on and off. And the answer is slightly paradoxical. It kind of the flips on its head a little bit more than one might expect it to. And, and I think you'll see why as I expand on this. Um, there's a lot of people, we get this question a lot. Uh, we get the question like, well, doesn't it defeat the purpose when you do KYC AML for something like Monero? Doesn't it defeat the purpose? Um, doesn't it uh, ruin privacy? And yes, KYC AML definitely uh, hurts privacy in the case of Monero, um, especially we have a few identified attacks like EAE attacks or even EABE attacks. And if you want more information on those attacks and how they can hurt your privacy, you can talk to the Monero Research Lab. Um, about kind of the specifics on those. And I think we have a couple of write-ups on those as well. But 
Um, KYC AML is actually not as dangerous to something like Monero as it might be to Bitcoin. So this is a, a conversation that Bitcoin people really, really do need to have. What do we do about KYC AML? Because for the most part, you're identifying people and you're able to follow things over the blockchain. Whereas with Monero, this problem is actually significantly less of a big deal because I could go to like a, a, if there was an, a Monero ATM, put in my information and take out my Monero from there. Um, and then uh, from that point, there are some attacks where you might be able to trace outputs with some level of certainty, but none of those are, you know, 100% for the most part. Um, but from there, I'm basically private as I go and spend my Monero in different places. Um, once again, uh, huge asterisk, take, take uh, uh, some time to research some of the attacks that are possible. But... Uh, for the most part, I'm safe. Whereas with Bitcoin, that's not going to be the case or any other transparent coin. Um, if I put my KYC AML, I, I have stamped myself on the blockchain at that time for that person. And they're able to kind of follow the coins wherever they go from that point. Um, KYC AML is not as big a deal for something that implements privacy by default in the same way that, you know, when I go into a bank and take out some cash, they see my face they have my bank card. They know my name. In fact, because I'm probably in their system, they know my address, all these things. And they know Diego took out $200. As soon as I leave that bank, they don't know what I do with that $200. Um, this is a bigger deal for transparent coins to talk about and deal with, not really for uh, Monero to deal with. I would be fine doing KYC AML measures to get Monero and take it out um, because following that is much harder than if I was to do that with Bitcoin. Um, now, I understand kind of also the spirit of this question is looking into uh, what happens when the current regulations become stricter in the sense that uh, now Monero might not be allowed. Um, and I, I'm reminded of history. So much, so much of legislation is made as a result of what is humanly possible. So it's not possible to track cash because we are not omniscient. We are not all knowing. I can't take my dollar and know where it's been. Um, and because of that, you know, there were the court cases that established the precedence of fungibility for fiat cash that said um, you're not responsible for where your money came from because you have no, you have no human way of knowing. Well, now. Bitcoin comes along, and now we do have ways of knowing where our Bitcoin comes from. And so because of that, I can totally see how regulations are going to shift because now it is humanly possible to know. Um, and so they're going to put the onus on the businesses or the whatever to know where that is. Um, I think we would be in a very different reality if Bitcoin had started with kind of privacy guarantees similar to what Monero had. Because then it wouldn't be possible. That would kind of be the default. That would be what everybody is used to. And it would be very analogous to cash. Um, Monero is very powerful. Monero is probably one of the most powerful tools in existence right now. And I, I don't say that lightly. Because you can move large, large sums of money instantaneously across the planet without borders, without permission. This is freedom. Like, this is freedom in a nutshell. Uh, you don't you don't get more free than this. Um, I, I really just think people are are overestimating how big censorship resistance is 
when it's not coupled with privacy, I with like Bitcoin, I think it's just so small of a, of a breakthrough. Anyway, uh, I don't want to go off elsewhere. This, I, this, this is my answer to that question. I hope it's kind of, um, I, I didn't really go into what is Monero's game plan if they do make Monero like not a thing. Um, I think there are a lot of avenues that can go and we can speculate, but as it current stands with KYC AML, I think Monero is actually the best player with it because we don't have to worry about it as much. I just want to chime in here really quickly because I work for a crypto OTC firm that does do AML KYC compliance on the users that trade with us. And like, it, it's different to be like, oh, I'm going to let someone know who I am in order to trade with them compared to, you know, Tell, showing, sharing all that information on chain, right? So we, we give someone Monero and then from that point, like we feel comfortable with the relationship and they can't, like we're not then tracing Monero from there. Whereas we could do that with more transparent assets. Um, and so for some people, they might not want to go through any KYC AML process and that, that that's fine, that's your choice. And for other people, um, sometimes like KYC AML might be okay depending on the circumstances. So it's, it's a kind of complicated question, but no, using Monero isn't, completely voided if you just use an AML service, like you, you still let your information known to a specific party, but it doesn't mean that then that party can track you everywhere. Like there's a, there's a big distinction. Like you said. Right. And that, that's, that's normal in everyday life. When I transact with somebody, if, if my brother does a service for me and I give him 10 bucks, we know each other. Um, I understand that there is some situations where that's not going to be ideal, uh, depending on, you know, the legality of what you're doing. Um, which we may consider some totalitarian regimes make certain things that are morally okay to be illegal and vice versa. And so we're typically talking, talking about those, at least I am. Um, but I don't know, it, it makes more sense to me, rather than trying to work through the system that is rigged against us to change the KYC AML regulations in our favor, although there is some merit to do that, why not make technology that makes that route irrelevant or makes those regulations irrelevant. Um, yes, it's an uphill battle, but nothing big has ever been done by laying down and being a little loser, right? The people that change the course of history are those that tackle the big problems that are not scared of the big problems. That's us, guys. That is us. So we can't... Hey, I don't know, Barbara. I'm a little scared. Yeah, this is very inspirational. This is very, like, uprisingness talk. Some fire... Some fighting words from Diego over here. Yeah. Okay, um, Howard, I, I just saw something come up in uh, Armanero. I know we're over time, so we'll, this will be the last thing. Um, so Tevador released a random X HTTP API service for calculating random X proof of work. I'm just gonna you know, quickly share that just so people can see. It allows people to use an API in order to do fast proof of work verification for Node.js based pools to have web mining with explicit user consent using RandomX and also access to RandomX for clients that cannot directly uh, link to LibRandomX. So from my understanding, this seems to be a way for people to uh, set up a service to allow web mining through the browser with explicit user consent. Uh, Howard, are you familiar with this? And uh, is there anything you can speak about um, what type of use cases this would be used for and, and then address the concern that perhaps this might be forked and tried to be like attempted to be used more maliciously. <laughs> uh, you know, I've only just started looking at it. Uh, we, we talked about it 
actually very early on when uh, when we first talked about how to integrate RandomX to MoneroD, you know, the, the very first proposal was to keep all of the mining code in a separate process. And, uh, you know, at that time, you know, we were being paranoid about, you know, what if there's a bug in the random code that allows it to, you know, corrupt memory and various other stuff. So, you know, the, the idea here has been around for, you know, more than a year. Um, but yeah, you know, once, once you decide I'm going to run a minor process or I'm going to run a minor in a separate process that I can talk to by an API, then yeah, that opens up all these possibilities that, you know, you can have your web client that uh, wants to submit hashes, you know, it can talk to this separate service. And so we don't actually have to go through the impossible task of implementing the miner in JavaScript and stuff like that. Uh, as far as, you know, using it for malware, I mean, uh, that's always going to be a possibility, but uh, people could do that already with, without this feature. So that, that doesn't really change the picture. I'm also not sure that's our job particularly. Like malware will always exist and trying to decide, hey, well, let's, I, I guess we can make it harder for malware to use like our two gigabyte requirement, but really that's not our problem. In my opinion. All right, I, I know it's a, quit, so. yeah, I was about to wrap up here. Um, yeah, we're, we're, 10 minutes over. I know we started like a few minutes late. So uh, thank you everyone who joined us. We peaked at around like 50 viewers today. So thank you everyone who joined us, asked questions. I, I hope we're able to answer all the major ones for you all today. Um, of course, you can always continue joining us in uh, the Monero Reddit, the Monero community, IRC, the Monero IC, all over every other community where Monero is present. Go out there. It needs people like you that are advocating for Monero working on making it better. The website, for example, is a really, really great way to get started. If you just want to take an hour or less a week to just improve one thing and make a difference, website is a great place to start. Also, is the Monero Stack Exchange is a great place to start. Um, so thanks to everyone, uh, Serang, Diego, Lee, Doug, Howard. Thanks for joining us. Uh, and of course- Justin. Yep, um, great to have everyone else here. No, I'm not a member of the Zcash Foundation, Spacebird. Um, and uh, yeah, thanks everyone for watching the kind words. We will catch you uh, at the next Monero Coffee Chat. Bye. Bye.